Logistics Rocks is the podcast that gives logistics the attention it deserves. And also, it's the podcast where you can meet all the rock stars of this fantastic and fascinating industry. Hi, my name is Deanna McDonald. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Block. And we are a digital solutions provider for the maritime sector, among others, as well as the energy sector. And we provide digital infrastructure for, for generally critical infrastructure. And we try to build, uh, bridge the digital and the physical divide and solve for real world global challenges. Hi, Diana. Welcome to Logistics Rocks. It's uh, really nice having you here. And you are smack in the middle of a field that I've been sort of keeping watch on since I think 2016, something like that. Uh, and that's the blockchain uh, field or the blockchain technologies or related technologies like distributed ledgers and so on. So uh, how come you ended up uh, in this field? Well, I've been in the technology field for, for about a decade now, predominantly working with industrial technologies. So digital technologies is a slightly new field for me. But I'm um, a governance scholar and a political economist by trade. And um, generally, I've been working a lot around governance and how to effectively create you know, global governance around some of our biggest global challenges. And one of the things that appealed to me most in the early days of these, these networks that seem to be arising from the bottom up online here, predominantly Bitcoin, and then later what came to be known as blockchain, is was the the kind of bottom-up governance uh, that was starting to be created in a digital fashion that allowed for essentially opt-in governance, but also to, to essentially be able to to create, you know, distributed and secure trusted networks. And that's something that I think is at the basis of of the next era of our ability to be able to to effectively create impact and change and however that comes about. So I was yeah attracted on, on maybe an academic level at the beginning. And uh, ever since I've just got my hands dirty and dove in and uh, yeah, I haven't really come up for air out of that <laughs> rabbit hole since. So when was this? Um, that would be, I mean, we started Block a couple years ago, two years ago, and probably a few years before that, a year or two before that, I was also, um, you know, finding my way throughout it and, and researching it as well while I was writing my thesis. So, 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 but you you don't have a tech background, but this is a high tech industry at the moment, and you're the CEO of of one of the hottest companies. Um, so, so, uh, um, have you teamed up with some technical expertise as well uh, to make this happen? Definitely. So, I have a bit of a tech background in many respects, in terms of, at the very least. Um, the underpinning of mechanical technology, but also in general of, of machines. So that that helps in the sense of being able to understand kind of the functional aspects. But in the digital realm, um, yeah, I'm definitely not a coder, um, but I'm able to, to, you know, to do the design and the architecture and also understand what I'm working with. But in the respect of how we build, we definitely partner with, you know, it's just such an innovative space right now. There are so many amazing minds in this space that we're able to leverage and, and collaborate with. And really mm -hmm. the ethos of, of our entire company is based on collaboration. So we have uh, internal tech resources and we rely heavily on them. And we also we partner with suppliers when we need them. And uh, we partner with existing tech firms. If something's already built, then our ethos is not to duplicate any efforts, but instead to collaborate towards... Uh, yeah, a shared collective goal. Mm -hmm. 
I think that, yeah, I think that's that's at the core of of um, sort of if you look at the history of Bitcoin, for instance, uh, those types of ideas have been sort of embedded into this this space for a long time. And um, if you look at what you're doing, you said you were merc- working towards the maritime sector. And uh, what what kind of promises does this technology or, or this family of technologies bring into an industry like maritime transport? Well, there's it's still early days, so it remains to be seen just exactly how these new you know business models and these new avenues will shape um, in the future. But I definitely see there being a huge and tremendous impact for blockchain, at the very least, for a you know, a network of communication that allows for a lot more level playing field amongst the maritime actors. So this is an industry that is predominantly fragmented. It's smaller players that make up the majority of the sector, even though we have, of course, the big conglomerates as well. And in that respect, there is a lot of, when it comes to the digital side and when it comes to our, you know, IT infrastructure, there's not um, really any standards. There's a lot of data silos. There's no interoperability between anybody's systems or even generally the communication systems that are used. So one way that I see blockchain making a huge, huge impact in this sector is to connect these systems together, whether they be legacy systems or enterprise reporting systems or new, new networks that we're creating as well, um, or sensor technology and the new types of you know technologies we're bringing in um, it's a way to essentially, you know, provide that basic infrastructure, the basic connectivity infrastructure that allows for information to be securely sent among all actors. Yeah, I think that um, at least as far as I have read and know about blockchain, I, uh, it it delivers very heavily on two promises, and one of them is, of course, the immutability to have. Uh, anything that's entered into a blockchain stays there and is not altered or deleted in any way. Uh, but also the decentralization um, aspect of it. And um, I think that's maybe one of the most critical components when you talk about log- the fragmentation of the logistics industry or the fragmentation of supply chains inherently means that you will never be able to force all the actors in a supply chain into the same environment, the same system. Even if you're Walmart, you're, you will not be able to do that with all your suppliers and their suppliers and their suppliers and so on. So I see, the, I see this technology as sort of the gateway to uh, a system where everyone can store their own data in a blockchain, doesn't have to be the same one, and then hyperlink it between these blockchains. And the only thing you can be sure of is that all these data are uh, immutable. It's it's never been changed. But that they can be stored almost anywhere uh, as long as it's in a, a secure enough blockchain. Would you agree with that? Well, I definitely agree that you're, you're making a very valid point about the decentralized nature of the shipping sector in of itself, and that this this is essentially an enabler for for bridging what has now been fractioned, uh, fractionated, and fragmented, and not necessarily connected. So I think it, it is absolutely on point that this is um, one of the biggest reasons why the shipping sector is my favorite place for for application development <laughs> right now in this in this space because there's just so much to do and there's so many areas where this can make huge improvements. Um, but when it comes to you know, and and you're and you're right in many respects of. 
of the immutability aspect, the essentially like the attestation of data or the the immutability of at this point in time, this is what you know the data uh, that this is what the data said. I think that aspect is is crucial, um, but it's not necessarily that the data is stored in a blockchain, so to speak, or that even blockchains are themselves secure. There are so many different blockchains. I mean, how does one even assess that at this point in time? But what you're able to do, and, and you, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning, is wherever you are hosting your data, you can still continue to host that data in your own secure fashion and on your own cloud, for example, in your own servers. Um, but what we tend to, how we tend to build with blockchain is that the information and the data that we are using, so in the case of our fuels assurance system, which is we are doing, we're tracing the quality and the quantity um, delivery information of fuels. And in that respect, we are able to, it's called hash that information. So we essentially, it's, it's metadata that we're saving. It's the timestamp and the, um, you know, the record of that data existing and how it l- looked at that point in time. It's and then chaining that across the supply chain. Exactly. Yeah. It's a fingerprint. But the data itself isn't, we are not storing it. So it's not, you know, another means of storing data necessarily. It's just the fingerprint, but the fingerprint is the other aspect is that that is connected to the next person's fingerprint and the next person's and so on. So being able to attach that from the multiple actors in the, you know, let's say the bunkering supply chain in this case, there are so many different runs. You've got the supplier, the fuel suppliers, you have terminals, the barges, the vessels themselves. You've got tests coming in from, from different testing bodies. So all of those actors are able to append their data, their fingerprint of that data, and they are attesting to that data and then being able to chain that together and that really is the the advantage here but they themselves can still store it in their own place or in this case which is the case in many cases in the shipping sector is that it's analog right now so we're essentially storing a, a photo sometimes or we're storing an electronic version if they're inputting the data into the system so so what you're saying is that the essential uh function uh that this technology brings is the ability to keep data um, very, very secure. More yeah, or less. and it yeah. depends. Yeah, exactly. And it depends on what type of data you want to secure and what you want to share. So there's often major assumptions being made or, or even blanket statements in this space that it's, you know, blockchain brings transparency. Everything's open. You see everything on the blockchain. And, <laughs> yeah, world you know, peace, everything. It, yeah. Yeah, uh, world yeah, peace. I, yeah, I've Poverty, seen the, hunger, all eradicated. But in, uh, in, in essence, we're just saying, well, you have to still design the system. You have to design what data you do want to put in there. How much is too much transparency? Who, who are the actors you want to share that with? And the governance aspect of it still needs to very much be how you approach it from the beginning. So it's not necessarily all data is going to the blockchain or even that we need all data, but specific data that that is required for, for the solution. Yeah. And uh, and also, I mean, two years ago, blockchain was on top of the Gartner hype cycle. Uh, and now it's declining. And I think this is a sound development uh, because we see now that the companies who are... Um, doing this for a living and who are succeeding are also the companies who are not promising world peace but they are actually <laughs> doing something with the technology and making creating value um, so I think that the, uh, this development is actually on the right track now uh, f- from being sort of uh, high up on the um, on the peak of inflated expectations and the view from up there is is really nice you can see 
quite far, but not necessarily in the right direction. So, yeah, uh, I personally think that that it's good that it's not on top of the hype curve anymore. Yeah, it's, it's um, well, it's still pretty up there, but yeah, it's it's nice to see it sort of coming down. Not to say that everybody in this space didn't benefit from it when it was happening. Of course, it opens a lot of doors, and um, uh, it definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm quite critical, generally speaking, towards uh, overpromising and and underdelivering, and also the hype that was associated and still is associated with blockchain and, and crypto. Um, but with respect to the developments and how it's moving forward, I think, I mean, I look at it the same way. There, as as you just put it, is that those that you know put their kept their heads down and just built and tried to figure out what it is we have here, because again, it's still early days. Um, and avoided making these big promises and grand notions of of uh, the silver bullet that can fix everything. And I think those are the companies that I respect. Uh, I think that's why we're respected in this space as well. And it's also those that we partner with. And we come with a slightly critical perspective and a very pragmatic one as well. And that also seems to be resonating with the industry and the shipping industry at large. I mean, we're not, uh, there's not a, it's not a silver bullet. There's not a solution. Uh, not every solution is meant to be uh, or can benefit from blockchain. It's actually only really, as it stands now, been validated in for, for a few very, very concrete applications. And in those areas, we're starting to develop. There'll probably be more in the future as well, but it's not a catch-all technology in any way. And it only works when in conjunction with all other technologies that are required for a holistic solution. Yeah, it's it's a tool with a specific function, and and uh, it's very good at that. So so yeah, and I think um, I I try when I talk to people, I try to sort of bring the expectations down because a lot of mm-hmm. people have have sort of listened to the hype and and all of these very very large promises, but um, when you when you start talk to, talking to people and and seeing that even though these two promises sound quite easy, decentralization and immutability, but the effects and the possibilities, if you can actually keep those two promises, uh, are uh, very significant and could be in so many industries and so many settings. So um, I think I think that yeah, we need to educate um, politicians. We need to educate um, funding agencies, things like that, uh, more because I think there are some very very strange notion about what this technology actually entails. Definitely. Yeah. We do that quite a lot. We 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 only take on partners, you know, that have gone through that with us and that have come through that process, whether it be, you know, Lloyd's Register Foundation, wherein we were very, very pragmatic about the funds that we that they granted us and it was we we started up together Maritime Blockchain Labs. And under that we've decided to work on three demonstrators in the areas of safety and risk of engineered systems for the shipping sector. And in that sense we we call them demonstrators because they really truly are it is an emerging technology. We are still in the, in the early days, as I mentioned, but also that we don't, you know, we, we need to be able to to kind of have these labs or to have this co-creation space where we can identify the value propositions and the business cases associated and the and the impact that it can have. Um, but it is a, tri- a progress by trial and error kind of um, space that we're in right now. And I think that was something that resonated and that it took, you know, it does take education to get there to not just policymakers, and we work on that level too. We are in like the OECD high-level working groups, and in many respects in our area of fuels, and, and you know the IMO 2020 is coming up, so we're doing a lot of policy work there too. And 
And not all of that is about blockchain, but when it does come to it, you do have to very much, you know, re-educate people um, out of the hype cycle and re-educate them about really, I mean, I think immutability is one aspect of it in the sense that, yes, the information you put into that system can be, and will be, um, won't, you know, you won't be able to change it. You can append to it later for sure, but there's always the garbage in, garbage out problem as well, right? So what data are you putting into the system? You're only as good as what you put in. And yeah, in that yeah, sense, yeah, you could yeah. put... You, you could know, lie not, to the I blockchain, think, actually. Exactly. And, yeah. and people just assume that because it's, you know, um, we talk about these consensus algorithms. These, the consensus in the network will tell you that it's true. Uh, well, it doesn't tell you what the real world means or what, you know, what is truth or what, it, what if this information that in, the, in the system is correct or the physical reality. It just tells you that the copy that everybody is storing hasn't been tampered with, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an aspect that is one really crucial that we have to usually um that has been misinformed but that we normally try to unpack but that, another that's really is, a really powerful promise nevertheless it is such a yeah. powerful promise it is yeah. it is yeah. and i think and with that comes the next part that is i think maybe overlooked quite a lot which is the verification aspect mm -hmm. so when it comes to and especially in the shipping sector when we think about it that's really what holds the big guys and the small guys apart um The small players, their information that they're sending that isn't necessarily trusted. Um, and in that sense, they have to use systems like EDI Fact, or they have to use third-party trust brokers, and they have to be able to get their information verified before it's trusted by others. And in this respect, for example, um, like the verified gross mass solus VGM regulation, that's, that's something where blockchain is really applicable, um, wherein um, MTI, Marine Transport International, had a case where they they essentially hooked up the way bridges on the land side to have machine-to-machine -machine communication. So they communicated directly to a digital ledger uh, or distributed ledger. And in that setting, that was a verified gross mass sent directly from the, the land side to a shipping broker. So in that sense, they were able to, you know, remove the need for an intermediary. And I think that was a really good case. And likewise, it's the same with us in this fuels, um, fuels assurance demonstrator. And now we're moving into the commercial phase of that is that this is verified information on, on fuel and on fuel data. So the quality of it, which is huge right now for the global fuel contamination crisis, but it is also exactly what you're going to need for enforcement and compliance for IMO 2020. You need monitoring, reporting, and verification. And this is a great underpinning system that allows for that trust in that it, that data itself. If the processes, of course, upstream have done been done correctly and if the information being put into the system can be trusted. Yeah, so data quality, of course. Um, yeah, I think that's the most powerful uh, thing about it, as we've said. Um, I always ask this question. If you're given 10 million euros or 10 million US dollars and you have to invest within this field, what would you invest in? You cannot say Bitcoin, by the way. In the field of blockchain? Yeah, or uh, yeah, or if or you don't want to, something else. But yeah, what what would what where would you put your own money? Um, well, if I were to, if I if actually if I take a bigger a bit 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 of a more higher higher level lens here, and said shipping and blockchain together, or the shipping and logistics sector, I would definitely say that. I would put my money towards some type of mission-oriented program that was essentially funding any and all solutions, however they looked, to be integrated together to provide something holistic for 
right now, what is the most important aspect that we need to tackle, and that's climate change. And I think that the decarbonization initiatives in the shipping sector and in logistics generally in our supply chains and in our industries haven't been tackled. And I think there's something to be said about finding these business cases, right? Sustainability can be profitability and coming together around mission-oriented innovation wherein we all have a collective goal that we're solving for. We each have a role in that, whether it be you're a vessel operator that commits to putting on these, you know, um, these renewable energy solutions that these technology providers give you that is then connected to a blockchain system that gives you your verified carbon credits that the government has also sponsored, you know, connecting all of that around an actual program that's aimed at at decarbonizing generally our logistics sector, but also shipping. Mm -hmm. That's a really good answer. And, and, um, I think I would actually invest in something like that as well, because, um, just just imagine if you could securely um, register in real time and make available um, supply and demand matchmaking uh, between yeah. uh, transportation resources in a city. I know there are companies working on this, and I will have them in the podcast as well. But but um, um, it's all the garbage in, garbage out problem. When a transport company is is receiving a booking, they receive a booking for three pallets. And when the poor driver turns up to pick those three pallets up, it turns out that there were five pallets and they were high density and they had to be reloaded or something like that. So, and this happens all the time. And it's not until these these pallets end up in a terminal that they actually know exactly what they have to work with. Uh, so we need we need a way to collect all these data that all these very small sometimes very small medium-sized actors have and they have incentives to lie sometimes because they will get a lower rate if it's not classified as high density goods for instance or things like that so so i i think that we have it's a um we have other problems that we also need to tackle once we've sort of solved the immutability aspects of it uh, I also think that we will have a new branch of middlemen we, we, we will sort of not have to rely on the visas and the mastercards and the guys the big guys in the middle having uh, all the transactions through their own system and making money from that but I think that the small coffee farmer from Guatemala will need someone to help them integrate with um, the blockchain that they need to use to be able to sell their goods. So I think that there's a big market now sh- emerging. Um, and I think you're a part of that market as well to to help the world, to trend, uh, the, help in the transition towards uh, this new way of securing data uh, in some way. So I think it's a really, really interesting. I think you make several good points there about the connecting these the, the actors throughout supply chains and it's and it's this last mile that we haven't been accounting for in a lot of respects um in in general in technology i mean the sociological aspects of our designs are are missing because we're not asking you know how does that um let's say garbage man use this app or in the case of um you know the coffee bean farmer, How do, do you, does he even have a phone? If he has a smartphone, then is it connected to the internet? Is blockchain always going to be available to them? Are they trading tokens? Are they coming into a system? Is it an app they're running? You know, How do we educate them all to even be a part of that? 
why would they do it? What are the incentives? You've just asked and raised a great you know, point there is, is there an incentive for them to do so? And I think that's really where it comes to the whole mechanism design and the governance design of these types of networks itself. And yeah, we're a part of that. And there are a lot, there are so many interesting avenues to explore in that area that a lot are. Um, I don't necessarily believe that it's, it, it, it is that you, you know, collect tokens and, and you sell those and exchange those, you know, unregulated securities on a market as it's been so far that it's, you know, predominantly driven by um, kind of, you know, shady investors, investments. But I think there is something to be said about what the value of the data you put into the system has and how you can be rewarded for high quality inputs. And we haven't had, you know, when we've built technology, it doesn't matter what technology we're talking about, it's never been like that before. We are and always have been farmed for our data. We've been mined. Like this is surveillance capitalism business models reign. But what happens when we change that dynamic and instead we say to the to the cocoa farmer, you know, if you do measure this with this, uh, you know, secure measuring device and you put your coffee beans on there every day and then we are able to test that later on in the supply chain, then you get, you know, whatever it is, a reward mechanism. And that reward mechanism can be transferred to something else of value in your local neighborhood, such as, you know, farming equipment that you need or, or you know, percentage points off of, off of in loans, you know, however that works, it's a bigger system that we're talking about now when it comes to even blockchain generally. And I really enjoy that as it's opened up the scope for more economic and sociological questions that we haven't before asked. And, and predominantly, this is about incentives and governance models. So because yeah. I think you're, you're right on point, the, the ability to be able to, you know, to use this to connect everybody would be and to put would a value, be amazing. Yeah, we'll we, see, but. we can put a value on transparency. Um, yeah. which has sort of been very hard to to convince companies to share data, to put data in some sort of open space where others might find it useful. Uh, but here we can see so many business cases making sense uh, from coming from the ability to exploit other other actors' data and letting them exploit yours. So so uh, yeah, I think we're we're we're. Um, uh, we're closer to the Tinder for freight transport uh, revolution than we think. Um, yeah. I mean, on, on that angle, I just have a one kind of note to add as well is that, it, I mean, again, it's not necessarily completely transparency. I think that is one of the narratives, a strong narrative right now in this space as well. Uh, but we do need to be wary of our own, you know, privacy. Our financial privacy is one thing, for example. And I think there is much to be said about um, permissioned systems that, you know, as long as good governance is designed into them, you can still build them in a distributed manner. And you do, you know, you share information among the participants that need to see that information. And likewise, privacy coins and opt-in transparency, you know, it's uh, when it comes to our financial privacy, that is a basic fundamental human right. And that is not necessarily afforded to us in these current systems. Uh, you're able to essentially analyze where someone's wallet is, what they're spending, and, and essentially their bank account. You can see that. You can see through that. And that's never before been the case. You know, I can't see into your bank account right now because we have a bank. Well, we move that, remove that, disinter we disintermediate banks, which perhaps is for everybody's benefit. But at the same time, is it really when we are building a system that is... I'm you know, not sure about that. <laughs> no, I'm not no, either. That's, no. But the argument is what they're making, right? Yeah. Is that the large part of this is the, the movement towards this transparency um, 
kind of narrative yeah. is is a strong one, and I do agree in many respects. We we have a lot that we can do in that area, but we yeah. also just it's just a note to be cognizant of what we're building, and also to be critical of the fact that there are still areas that just you know that we do need privacy yeah. for. Ta- talking about uh, sort of taking <clears throat> the future perspective here, I know that looking ahead when it comes to the blockchain technology is six months is a lot but um, where would you see this field in let's say five five to ten years from now something like that um well i mean i think there's that age-old saying that it's you know when it works we won't call it ai anymore and we can say the same when it works we won't call it blockchain anymore We spend a lot of time talking about the technical aspects of blockchain, but really, do we talk about the technical aspects of our iPhone and how it works? Uh, we just know the functions, right? We know how it, that what it does for our lives. I think at that point, if this does continue to develop in the direction it's going and, and continues to be an innovative field, then we would end up having this quite integrated, I think, among among the rest of the technological advances that we're seeing and that would be ideal if we don't really talk about it anymore but it does provide us with you know with the basic infrastructure that we need to to have secure and transparent interactions with each other yeah because people will still work within the field of course but yeah i I agree i often talk about the s in https we we never really care about safe web browsing but it's sort of in the backbone of the internet now and and uh, the banks are using it and everyone is using it and i think i think this may be one of those technologies um as you say yeah, that, that will form the backbone an infra- basic infrastructure more or less exactly and uh, as you said this this industry is booming right now what would you give what type of advice would you give to someone who wants to start out working uh, within this sector Um, where should they go? What should they do? In the blockchain sector? Yeah. Hmm. It's a, I mean, I think people are pretty aware now, given the bear market and the prices of crypto, that perhaps don't start with an initial coin offering or an ICO, as it's known. Um, raising funds is not necessarily the same as building technology. Not that, um, I mean, I think that's becoming a bit more clear now. But if I, I think the first thing would be, Get, get involved in your local communities, the local meetups. There are so many. They're so great. And these local meetups are now starting to meet up with each other. So the different, at the beginning, it was quite a hostile kind of different communities in the different blockchains. But it's seeming to come together in many ways now. There's a lot of um, convergence. And that's a, that's a great first place to start. Just like go on meetup and look up uh, any of the, the local events going on in your area because then it just goes from there. I mean, it, it's it's such a diverse amount of people in this space young old from every which direction every type of field you can imagine it's really cool space and i think in there you'll find whatever it is you're looking for and, at least and you don't have to you don't have to move to silicon valley uh, you're based Not in copenhagen all. in denmark yeah exactly and we're actually all over the world we're in uh, new york and dc in denmark and we're also in asia and we we travel a lot and we have quite a distributed working um working group as well so i think in that respect you can be anywhere and it is happening everywhere and of course a lot of it's online but there are yeah there's really great physical communities being built around this as well and people meeting from all over the world and the last question i have is of course the obligatory what rock song would you recommend to our listeners 
<laughs> well, uh, I think that changes from day to day, but today my rock song that I would recommend would be Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. And oh, that's a excellent but... choice. Excellent choice. And uh, <laughs> would you say this is metaphoric? Because some of my guests are really thinking about the ly- lyrics and how that connects to their field and so on. Uh, are you saying that that um, you're born to run? <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, I think that's probably it's not too far from the <laughs> from what what the sentiment is behind that song. I have great great memories associated with it, and the boss is one of my, you know, one of my all time favorites. But I think, um, yeah, I think this is a good. It is a good analogy right now too for for where we're at. Is is we have to run, we have to push forward, and. Um, and in general, I think it's a it's a fun and exciting song that gets you moving. <laughs> it just yeah. gives me a lot of energy. Actually, I will try to, to find the, the link. Uh, I will try to find the link because it's actually from Copenhagen, where a street musician is playing. I think it, it's the river, and mm. Bruce Springsteen walks by because he's there for a concert, and he starts playing with. Uh, this musician on the sidewalk and that's, this, my, that's one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs I was, yeah. I'm going to look that up too send it uh, to me if you find it I will send it to you and I will post it in the show notes and thanks Diana great. for uh, participating in Logistics Rocks well thanks for having me it was great thank you Diana for a very interesting chapter and I've learned a lot about blockchain in this volume So while we're listening to Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, let's talk about what's coming in the next volume. In the next volume, I'm going to talk about Amazon, I'm going to talk about city logistics and uh, urban mobility with some world-renowned experts. So stay tuned. Another volume of Logistics Rocks will be arriving soon. Until then, rock on.